Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm so happy to be back with you again today. We're going to take a look at one investor's journey from $2,000 in unseasoned credit to financial independence. Bryce Robertson began his investing career with a negative net worth, unseasoned credit, and a mere $2,000 in the bank. Having raised millions of dollars and accumulation of successes in mobile home park investing, Bryce hosts the podcast Freedom Hack Radio and is the co-author of 10,000 Miles to the American Dream. He writes weekly articles for Bigger Pockets and has the number one top-selling mobile home park investing and capital-raising home study courses. Bryson, take us into the show by sharing a memorable experience that brought you to where you are today. Yeah, mate. I think probably the most impactful thing that happened before I was an entrepreneur is actually working in the construction industry. I had about 20 years in the construction industry and it really taught me to work super hard. I was always striving to be the top performing worker and it really just ingrained on a granular level my work ethic. And that's really, really been a huge benefit for me as an entrepreneur. That is hard work. I don't know. Outside of farming and restauranteurs, uh, I don't know what else is more difficult than construction work. Always labor-intensive kind of thing. Well, Bryce, you wrote the best-selling book, 10,000 Miles to the American Dream. Why did you write that? Yeah, I just, you know, I had my own journey coming over here and creating financial freedom in the States. And when I did that, after I completed financial freedom here in the United States, I actually met Reed Goosens, who is another Aussie. And he had been putting together a group of eight of us, eight Aussies that had all come over from Australia, all at our own timing, all came over and created financial freedom through real estate. But we did it through eight different strategies or eight different asset classes in real estate. We ended up really just getting together in the beginning to have a mastermind to start doing deals together and creating some synergy together. And then we just realized there was so much value in our stories. And also, we just had this huge passion for the abundant opportunity that exists here in America. And I've traveled to 60 countries. So I've had an opportunity. I've lived all over the world. I've had an opportunity to see what it's like in different countries. And there is no business playground like there is with the opportunities that exist here in the US. So we ended up sharing our story of financial freedom in 10,000 Miles of the American Dream. Wonderful. Yeah, Reed has been on the show as well. Wonderful fella as well. Well, you also have a podcast, Freedom Hack Radio, as we said in the introduction. Why do you have a podcast? Why did you start radio or Free Hack Radio? Yeah, when I became financially free, I had a look at the scenario and I looked at 20 years in construction and construction management, didn't really have much to show for it at the end of it, didn't really even enjoy it, to be honest. And then I looked at two and a half years in real estate, became financially free, live a freedom lifestyle, and I became really, really compelled to share that with other people so they could go out there and recreate their own version of that in their life and create freedom. Well, you also do a lot of research in terms of the economy. So why do you do that? And what's going on in our economy these days? Yeah, that's a pretty complex question. 
I think the reason I do it is because I'm aware that we live in cyclical environments. So real estate has cycles, the economy has cycles, we have social cycles, we have weather cycles. The world, the universe works in cycles. We need to understand that. Seasoned investors understand that because they've seen the ups and downs. Where we are in the market, in the economy, in our real estate is we're very near to the top. It's hard to say exactly when the top's going to be, but we know on the other side, there's a downturn. How bad's downturn going to be? I personally think it's going to be quite significant. I actually would not be surprised if it was the same capacity or even greater than the Great Depression. And there's a lot of indicators that make me believe that. There's possibility that it won't be as bad and that it'll play out like it kind of played out in Japan. I'm not sure if that's really going to happen. It's a possibility, but we're investors and we're in all of this to make money. So if I need to know that in the worst case scenario, if we do have a massive downturn and all the highest probabilities and possibilities that I think could happen do happen, I want to know that our investments are actually going to make it and make it through the storm and weather the storm. So because of that, we actually infuse a lot of this information from macroeconomics into our underwriting for our projections for our mobile home parks so that we feel comfortable that we can mitigate all the potential risks that are coming up. Here's how we do that. Right now, we can actually purchase mobile home parks at a six cap, okay? So we can buy mobile home parks at a six cap. Now, if we're projecting that we're going to do a refinance or we're going to sell in three to five years from now, in our underwriting, we've added 300 basis points to our cap rates or 3% to our cap rates. So it would actually be a 9% cap rate at our refinance or selling in three or five years. We do the exact same thing with interest rates. We add on 300 basis basis points so that if we have to refinance in three years, we've added on an extra 3% to our interest rate, already seeing that the Fed is increasing rates by 50 basis points each time. And they've done quite a few of those this year. They've said that they're going to continue this year and they're also going to keep going for the next two years. So it's very highly likely that we will have an increase of 3% in interest rates. Probably not going to have 3% interest rates in cap rates, but we want to make sure that we can handle that anyway. Also, when we're looking at all of our remodels on mobile homes and all of our construction work with inside projects that we're working on, we've doubled our capital expenditures for our construction costs. And we've also doubled our construction time timelines as well. The reason we've doubled our costs on our construction is because we're seeing price increases. We're also seeing supply chain disruptions, some things we may not even be able to get. So we want to make sure that we can handle the inflation of prices. Now, if we're doing a construction project in the next few weeks, I feel pretty comfortable. But if we're doing a construction projects further than 12 months from now, it's very unknown what the prices are going to be like or if we can even get our hands on things. So that's why we double our costs. We double our timelines in construction because there's a a lot of understaffing. It's happening on a worldwide scale right now. Cities are understaffed. It's hard to even get permits in time. They're taking way longer than they've ever taken before. And is that going to get worse? Are we going to have even more unemployment? Technically, a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Q1 of 2021 was negative growth. Q2, which we're currently in right now, we're about to find out in a couple of weeks if that's actually going to be negative growth. And if it is, 
on July 1st, it's going to be a recession. And if that happens, there could be more unemployment, which is going to cause even more delays on timing. These things can escalate as the year progresses. So uh, we're adding these things into our underwriting and we're also doubling and in some circumstances, quadrupling our property taxes. You may be aware that there's something called quantitative easing or money printing that's actually has to be paid back by somebody. Uh, the people that are printing the money are not going to pay it back. The general public's going to be up to pay it back through some form of taxation, either price inflation, property taxes, some other form of taxation. People are going to have to pay it back. So we want to make sure that we're inflating a lot of these prices to be able to mitigate the potential risk of all of these things to happen. We have other assumptions that we mix into our underwriting, but they're the main things. We want to know that if all of those things happened and they all happened simultaneously to full fruition, we can still weather the storm. And so that's why we underwrite, underwrite our deals like that. Then in actuality, we're planning for the best. And a lot of the, what we have underwritten for probably won't happen. We want to know that we can weather the worst part of the storm if it does. Well, just so our viewers and listeners know, we're recording this episode here in June and it won't be airing until probably mid-September. So a lot of things are probably going to change in between June and September. A lot of uncertainties in the world and in the market these days. And things are happening fairly rapidly and quickly. So there could be some massive changes between June and September. But these are still very important aspects of real estate investing. And I know it takes a lot of time, effort, and energy to really stay on top of these economic indicators. But what are some of your favorite go-to sites, sources, and what have you in terms of tracking our economic cycles. Yeah, I think FRED is actually pretty good. F-R-E-D. It's actually a Federal Reserve information. I listen to a lot of people. I follow a lot. I accumulate from so many different places to bring together the information I have. You know, I listen to Peter Schiff. I listen to people in gold and silver. I follow crypto. I watch, I follow people in real estate. I'm following the markets everywhere. And there's no real like one place or one source to actually get the information. It's an eclectic accumulation of information that I'm getting all over the place. To be honest, I even am also like watching astrology and watching the cycles that happen there. And I've seen that a lot of the, or actually every single cycle that happens on planet Earth is in conjunction and relationship to cycles that are actually happening in the universe as well. So there's a lot of other indicators outside of just economics where I can get a lot of accurate information, fact check it, see it play out and see that it has been accurate information. So I'm getting my information from all over the place. Well, tell us about how it is that you have found a true freedom in your lifestyle. Yeah, first, I actually started off with financial freedom. I think I spoke about that. You might have spoken about that earlier. I went from a negative net worth, $2,000 in the bank and unseasoned credit to financial freedom in two and a half years through mobile home park investing. And then after I became financially free, the next step was, hey, let's really make sure that I'm not overwhelming myself with my time as an entrepreneur. We may be doing really well financially, but we're working 80 hours or 100 hours a week. So the next thing was to outsource a lot of what I was doing to my team, to other people that we're working with, so that I'm really just working on building my business and not working in my business. So then I actually have time freedom. Then the third step was for me to make sure that I was set up so that I could do anything 
remotely from wherever I was. And all I need is a phone and a computer and internet access. And I can, I can work. I love to travel. And I literally just got back from one month traveling through the Rockies and Yellowstone and all of these amazing areas. And I completed a lot of business, launched deals and everything while I was gone. And that's what I call the freedom trinity of financial time and location freedom. And I believe that's true freedom. When you're financially free, when you're in control of your time, I mean, you can be wherever you want to be all over the world, as long as you have an internet connection, that is true freedom to me. Well, sounds absolutely wonderful. So it took you two and a half years to attain financial freedom. Can you take us down that journey? Yeah. So in the beginning, I had a negative net worth, $2,000 in the bank and unseasoned credit. And at that time, I put a mobile home park under contract. Now, clearly me alone, I was never going to get that park across the finish line. I was never going to get that deal closed. So I ended up leaning on family and friends to fund that deal. And then three months later, we closed on the deal. When that happened and I closed on that deal, two things happened. Number one, felt like I was 10 foot pole and realized I could do big deals when I bring other people in on the mix. The second thing I realized was there was massive value in bringing investors into deals where I'm doing all of the work and they can kick back and claim on the profits. And in our industry, we call that syndication. So once I did that first deal, I rinsed and repeated bigger and better deals for the next two and a half years, syndicating mobile home parks until I created financial freedom. You said friends and family on that first deal. Was it an actual syndication? So technically, the first one technically was not a syndication because I had some friends that actually joined and they had a role. They they had an active role in some part of operations. One of them was a lawyer. So there was some legal work being taken care of. So, you know, they performed due diligence as well. So technically the syndications that we do, our investors don't have an active role. Uh, All they do is invest and then they wait for the profits. They really don't do anything. But for that first deal, there was an active role that my investors had. So technically it was not a syndication. It was actually a partnership. So what was the size of that first park? It was a 40 space park. It was in California, 40 mobile home park spaces and one single family home. I think it was a three bed, two bath. And it also had an office building with a little bit of storage and laundry. Well, what was your major lesson from that first endeavor? One of the lessons is I was on deal structuring because when we, when we closed up, when we finished that deal and wrapped it up, it was like 4.3 years later. When I averaged out my investor returns, they made like 57.3% annual returns, which was like, was ridiculous. And I didn't know that I structured the deal way too in favor of investors. But, you know, that was a lesson learned. One of the other big lessons that I learned there was to not own private utilities. In that first mobile home park, I owned an electrical system and I owned a gas system. And in the dead of winter, we actually had the gas system fail, I had a small pin pinhole leak that called out the gas company who shut down the gas at the main. Now nobody's got hot water. They can't cook. All of the things went wrong in wintertime. Relatively simple fix. The thing about gas lines in mobile home parks is when you have a leak, for them to bring it back online, they have to pressure test the system once you've repaired it. So we repaired it. But when they do the pressure test, they put so much more pressure in the system, way, way, way above operational pressure that it can actually cause other leaks somewhere else down the line. So for the next few weeks, we went through the process of pressure testing and and then causing more leaks, having to repair those leaks, pressure testing until after a few weeks of really having no sleep, (laughs) we ended up solving the problem. And in the interim, you know, we bought electric heaters for people. We bought electric cooktops for people. We bought blankets. We were buying medication 
for, for people that were not feeling well. We bought them like barbecue chicken and food and we were doing everything we could to try and fill the gap on what was missing from them having gas. And problem solved after two weeks, but it was definitely a very stressful time period. No kidding. And yet you still decided to invest in mobile home parks. That's amazing. One thing that's also amazing that was, did that first deal, was it really, did it actually, was it a profitable deal after all of those major expenses, after all of that time, effort, and energy? Yeah, so we bought it in 2015. We bought it for... 580,000. And then 4.3 years later, we sold it for 1.3 million. It was very profitable. Uh, we didn't really have that much CapEx into it. I think we had less than $100,000 of CapEx into it. It was cash flowing the whole time. And like I said earlier, when we looked at it at the end of the day, our investors made like 57.3% annual return for those 4.3 years. Wow. So it was very profitable. Yeah, obviously. So what did you do for, you said it cash flowed from the very beginning. Was it cash flowing during that period of the gas crisis? Yes, it was. It cash flowed the entire time. That's actually something that all of our parks, they cash flow straight out of the gate. Even if we're only 50% occupied, because we buy parks that are sometimes 50% occupied and then increase the occupancy, which increases the value. All of our parks cash flow straight out of the gate. Well, that's, well, that was interesting. Good thing it did that, of course, with all of the problems that came with that. So you no longer invest in parks with private utilities. That includes no private water, no private sewer. We're, we're okay with sewer. We're, we actually have like septic systems and water wells at some parks. They're actually, you know, there's a few different tiers of risk level with private utilities. They're not too bad. The next tier would be getting into a packing station, which is like on the sewer side of things or getting into electric or gas. And well, I actually would say electric. And then the next tier would be gas. It's a little bit more risky. And then you can go a tier up that and and actually have a lagoon, which is which very big sanitary risk that you're taking on. If something goes wrong legally with the lagoon, uh, you could be up for like a million dollars. And so unless you bought that park for a million dollar discount, we would never, ever have a lagoon. Yeah, I can understand why that might be an issue there. Well, talk about raising millions for real estate deals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like I said, it started by reaching out to family and friends. In the beginning, I thought, hey, I've got this hot deal. Everyone's going to jump on it. But I didn't have a track record. People in my network didn't really know about mobile home parks. It was a cold shower for me. It was challenging to raise capital for that first deal. And I'm very fortunate and so thankful for the friends that ended up joining me on that deal because it was really a huge pivotal point in my career. But then after that, I just became obsessed with networking. So once I closed on my first mobile home park, I went to every single real estate meeting that I could go to in Southern California. At the time I was living in Orange County, I went to the Orange County meetings, the LA meetings, San Diego meetings, and the Riverside meetings. I would go to like two, three meetings a week. I did that for two years. And in two years, I built an investor group of about 500 people. And that's really, really how I got started. Things are a little bit different now. Now I speak on stage, I, I host events, I attract people at a bigger capacity, but it was really like boots on the ground, building relationships, building trust, proving myself as an investor over the time. And I've gone full cycle on a handful of deals now. And so people have proven that I follow through on my word. I do what I say I'm going to do. I always have, I have a solid track record of exceeding all of our projections for investors. So, uh, you know, that's worked out really well for us. And that's another reason why I have such conservative underwriting is coming into these uncertain times, I want to make sure that we upkeep on that track record of, of meeting projections or exceeding them. Well, at these cap rates of 
6%, which you say is pretty typical for mobile home parks these days, which is, it, it seems almost unreal to me that they have dipped that low. How do you make a 6% cap rate of a profitable endeavor? That's a good question. And, you know, I think the lowest cap rate we've bought at is like 5.8% so far. We've still been buying mobile home parks at the 11 cap rate for some parks. Because of my strong construction background, I can take on opportunities that other people wouldn't. The reason why those deals work for us, because to be honest with you, there's a lot of parks trading in the 2%, in the really? 2% cap range right now. A lot of parks. Hmm. So I would say the average right now in America is probably closer to the 4% range. Right. But we're not going to buy that low. So, but the reason why a six cap deal would work for us is because in year one, we're going to massively increase the property. For example, right now, we're under contract on a property down in South Carolina, 40 space park, and it has 18 vacant mobile homes just sitting there. So we've got three in-house construction crews that we're going to send down there. And within the first six months, we're going to completely remodel those homes and get them filled. There's also another vacant storage units on that property and, and three RV, undercover RV storage units. So in six months, we'll have that 100% occupied. And based off our purchase price, that'll push us above a 12 cap in year one. Mm, okay. So you're looking for opportunities where there's a lot of value add in that. And so the the... But you say you wouldn't buy at a 4% cap rate. What difference would that make, that 2% cap rate, in terms of, say, that park you're purchasing now? Well, you know, we haven't bought at a 4% cap rate, and none of those deals have penciled out because we don't cash flow year one, or we don't have enough to like actually you know, cover the mortgage because we're going to get a... Alone on these properties as well. So, and really, the main thing is, with all of our conservative underwriting assumptions, everything taken into consideration, even the cap rate that we're purchasing it, financing, everything, once we're said and done and we've done our underwriting, unless we are going to make an annual average of 20% plus for our investors, we're not going to do the deal. We're not going to move forward because I don't believe that there's much demand for below that. But when, once we get over 20%, it's very, very attractive to sell that to investors. In addition to that, we have additional tax benefits. We do cost segregations at all of our parks to front load the tax benefits in year one. If we're not going to essentially double investors' capital in five years or do better than that, then you know we're not going to do the deal. Mm-hmm. Well, you say you're cash flow. Were you cash flowing on this this property, even though it's fifty percent vacancy rate? Yes. Yeah, we cash flowing straight out of the gate. Yep. And I forgot what question I was going to ask on that. So cash flowing from day one and internal rates of return of twenty percent or more your basic criteria on the parks that you're going into. Well, I'd say, you know, investor returns of you know, 20% a year when you figure out the annual average, so doubling investors' capital in five years on the IRR, we wouldn't really go below 15. So if we're at like 15 or above on our internal rate of return, that's usually a pretty good deal for us. Okay. Well, excellent information, Bryce, and delight having you with us today. And viewers and listeners, Bryce has a whole lot to offer and we will be providing that information in the show notes as a lot is changing in Bryce's firm. So we'll not share that at this point in time. But look in the show notes and you can find out how to contact. So viewers and listeners, delightful to be with you again today. Look forward to being with you next episode. 
Bryce, have a wonderful day and thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance brought to you by Steed Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steed Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steed Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at steedtalker.com.